Hello there. You are listening to the Academy Revival Podcast. This is Drew, a resident of the Montevilla neighborhood and big fan of the theater here with Doorman. What's up? Hey, Drew. Here we are. We're in the, the depths of winter right now. I wish it could say it's colder out, but it's <laughs> it's almost 60 degrees outside. But, I mean, we did have that giant ice storm. We've definitely been feeling the winter lately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, January was pretty extreme. The I've been in the neighborhood now for a year, so it's kind of my, um, well, come like early February. So mm. right when I moved in this time last year, we had a like 10 inch snowstorm in Portland and last week, you know, early, um, uh, January, a couple weeks now we had an ice storm, a snowstorm and an ice storm. And it definitely felt like a good time to hunker down and watch movies. Assuming you had power, heat, <laughs> yeah. other, other essentials. It was good. Um, a movie, movie viewing, you know, ambiance, uh, once everyone had, you know, <laughs> the more important things taken care of. Absolutely. And, and it was just a really wonderful month of programming for January. So thank you to anyone listening who came out and watched the movies in January. It was really great to see you. and We appreciate your support. Um, and we have some wonderful movies to talk about for February for this episode. We got eight movies, four weeks, two per week. Um, and we got a great variety. So, you know, last month, January, it was total sci-fi Every, you know, it was five weeks, 10 movies. It was just chock full of sci-fi with the good variety within that. Um, but this, almost every single week here in February, we're just jumping to a completely different zone in the cinema landscape. Yeah, I think it's what's interesting about the revival calendar so far, the last, you know, couple of years since you've really been ramping it up is um, this is this is a slow time for um, new cinema releases uh, that that's been happening for decades, right. um, really slow time of year. And it's really great that you have the opportunity to compensate for that with more revival programming. We had 10 in January, I think, cause yep. we had five weeks and yep. now eight again in February. Um, that's just, that's great. There's, you don't have to break your habit or routine of going to the theater for lack of, of options, whether it's a new movie or a, a great revival. Um, screening. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's just dive right into the first week here. So we've got uh, two movies playing from February 2nd to February 8th. Uh, the first of which uh, has a lot to do with February 2nd, Groundhog Day from 1993. Bill <laughs> is back. Don't drive angry. Back in charge. Back. <laughs> In action. I'm not going to live by their rules anymore. Back in shape. Don't you worry about cholesterol, love handles. Wow. Back <laughs> for the craziest day of his life. Yes. Bill Murray. Groundhog Day. Rated PG. Here's the description. Bill Murray is at his wise-cracking best in this riotous romantic comedy about a weatherman caught in a personal time warp on the worst day of his life, teamed with a relentlessly cheerful producer, Andy McDowell, and a smart-aleck cameraman, Chris Elliott, 
TV weatherman Phil Connors, Bill Murray, is sent to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to cover the annual Groundhog Day festivities. After a surprise blizzard traps him in small-town hell, things get even worse. Phil wakes the next morning to find it's Groundhog Day all over again and again and again. This, weirdly, I mean, the Bill Murray breakout aside, as a... um, uh, a plot mechanic became one of the randomly most influential movies of all time. It's so crazy. I don't know how many people um, have seen uh, all the movies that this inspired, like Groundhog Day, but as a slasher, Groundhog Day, but as a rom-com. Um, there might be some people out there who haven't revisited the original f- uh, formula in a long time. It's It's just wild that this kind of concept it's a it's a very existentially heavy movie it, that's why that works as a concept like what's the the meaning of life especially if you have to keep repeating yeah. your actions over and over again yeah heavy for a comedy which is kind of bill murray's specialty too being yeah. able to balance those tones but totally. it's just wild that this became like a subgenre all to itself yeah so this you know i grew up with this movie it's probably it's probably my dad and my mom's favorite movie i mean i've seen this movie millions of times and it's just one of those movies that you know even if you've only seen it a few times you're so familiar with the movie because of how much repetition is in the movie so i just feel like i know this movie backwards and forwards like a lot of people i'm sure do but i just yeah i've watched it endlessly and i i kind of can't even really separate it from my childhood it just was part of it and my parents grew up uh in pennsylvania my mom has been to punxsutawney so it's almost a little closer to home than i'd like to admit (laughs) right um but at the same time i was excited to get to play this movie and just dig a little deeper because i hadn't really revisited it in a while and i didn't really i never really researched groundhog day so it's interesting that you bring up the influence that it had cuz in my research i sort of got um into what inspired the original writer danny rubin who came up with this idea and and where the idea came from and basically, long story short, it's a little bit of Anne Rice. He was okay. reading the vampire Lestat and was yep. really fascinated with the immortality of the vampires. Um, and also Holiday, Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life. So that kind of blew me away because I had never really made the connection between It's a Wonderful Life and Groundhog Day before. And it didn't. It wasn't strictly, you know... Uh, the parallel wasn't quite so obvious to me up until uh, just recently when I was looking into the movie. That makes sense. And, and it's it really forces you to put a lens on kind of like your everyday activities and relationships, prioritize things, um, understand the impact that you have on others, like all these really heavy thematic things, but in such a uh, humorous and, and entertaining package. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's directed by Harold Ramis, and I was looking into his career a little bit, and I didn't realize that he had kind of come out really strong out of the gate and had some really big hits. You know, everybody knows Vacation, Caddyshack before that. But then he had this really bad flop, which is a movie I have not seen called Club Paradise. Yeah, it's nope. it seems a little like uh, Jimmy Buffett kind of inspired, you know, comedy. I guess it was just, yeah, total flop. And so he was looking to come back, 
with something totally different um, to sort of reinvent himself and give himself, uh, you know, another movie that was successful. Um, and so Groundhog Day, you know, went through a lot of different revisions. And that was another really interesting part that struck out to me is that this idea kind of that Danny Rubin had got past Harold Ramis and Bill Murray and they just went through all of these different revisions um, to try to get which uh, until which ultimately came the final product Um, but it was just a very development heavy writing process I've heard screenwriters talk about how intricate and perfectly executed the script is so that's another lens through which to watch it maybe because of the meticulous effort that went into it but it's it's um it's a a big challenge to pull off what they what they pull off in from a writing standpoint yeah Uh, so that's interesting great dialogue just so watchable i mean i were i feel like we're preaching to the choir because i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with this movie and i feel like it's pretty hard to spoil it but at the same time, it's just so many great lines. Uh, you know, a couple that have really stayed with me that I always pull out is just too early for flapjacks. You know, I love that one. Uh, another one that I use that I people don't get as easily, but it's sort of like a private joke for me is I just say, a giant leech got me. You know, be like, what's going on? How are you doing? I just say, uh, a giant leech got me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, stuff. yeah, just great, great movie. I feel like we don't need to go much deeper than that. It's just come out guys. It's going to be really fun to see this movie and la- you know, comedies are so much fun with the crowd and we don't play this one all the time. Uh, it's, it'll be really fun, but it'll be playing every day yep. and no, imper- no <laughs> just, yeah. like you watched it growing <laughs> up. I mean, what, a, yeah, what better way to grow up watching it than just <laughs> watching a movie that takes place in a loop on loop. Yeah, and it's kind of a rare treat, and it's going to be uh, played alongside with another movie that is pretty well known that is also not screened very much, and I'm really excited to announce this one. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, this is one I've always wanted to do, and we were trying to wait for the right moment because it just, it's not doesn't scream October as much to me. It was I was almost thinking it was September, but yep. I just didn't know exactly where. And for some reason, it just felt right for beginning of February because we played The Thing last year. So this is part of our horror series. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just going to go out and say it. it's from 1980. We have John Carpenter's The Fog. Something is moving in the fog. Who's there? Something not quite human. Who is that? In Halloween, John Carpenter created a night of absolute fear. Now, he has conjured an evil so intense, not even the dawn can drive it away. The Fog, a study in unrelenting terror. Rated R. 100 years ago, the clipper ship... Elizabeth Dane went down in a fog-shrouded wreck off the coast of Antonio Bay. Tonight, on the eve of the town's centennial, her time-rotted crew has come back for blood in John Carpenter's masterpiece of atmospheric terror. That's all, yeah, that's all I have to say. It is style over substance to some degree in the best possible way. I've I've talked about this maybe on every episode of the podcast so far, (laughs) Um, just because um, we both love Carpenter, of course, but this is maybe the movie I return to the most, even though it's maybe the most flawed. I know it's just a weird comfort. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The, um, 
a lot of it has to do with the lighthouse <laughs> setting yeah. and just kind of um, the the late night radio DJ. Yeah, that is so um, transportative, and 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 then the literal like just foggy atmosphere. I watched it in September this past year. Because I felt like that was the transition yes. of, of seasons. Yes, and it was, I felt it yeah. was a September movie too, but I just couldn't wait till yeah. September. And <laughs> the way it worked out last September was we were just about to ramp up super hard for October yep. horror. So we gave the horror a pause in September and afterwards in November because we just wanted to really channel it all into October. Um, and I feel like that might be the same thing again. I just didn't want it. I didn't want another September to go by without the fog. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just really, really obviously really excited, um, to play it. And, um, so many great lines, so much great dialogue. You know, you just mentioned, uh, Adrian Barbeau, who's the radio DJ. I'd like to think that that's Deborah Hill. I know she wrote a lot of the female dialogue, in Halloween, and mm-hmm. I'd like to think that she also did all of that radio station stuff. Um, and I, I just, you know, I think that Deborah Hill is, you know, John Carpenter gets so much praise, so much love. But to me, it's really their collaborations. It's that's what makes these movies so special. So I, I always pitch that it's the there's a trilogy of John Carpenter films with with Deborah Hill. Halloween, The Fog, and Escape from New York. And those are, those are, I just love that trilogy. It's not that I don't like the thing. It's not like I don't like They Live and I love Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could go, I could talk about it all the time. But there's this trilogy that I feel like people don't, even among Carpenter fans, they don't really isolate it as much as, and I just wanted to highlight that, I, that Deborah Hill has a lot of creative sway in this movie. Yeah, and I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is playing a totally different type of of character. Oh, yeah, she has sex within the first 10 minutes, or I guess after the credits, which take 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, she's pretty um, laissez-faire about um, getting into a car with a a strange older man and and then getting into bed with him. I I love that part. Okay, so that's (laughs) one of my favorite lines from this movie is just when she's like, I got to ask you, are you weird? (laughs) And Tom Atkins just goes, weird? Yeah, I'm weird. She's like, cool, okay. Oh, it's so good. It's the best hitchhiking scene. You know, just lots of little great moments to always... You know, um, you know, another one of my favorites, I just got to say it right now, is when the guy who's always trying to pick up Adrian Barbeau is on the phone. You know, he's just constantly trying to ask her out, the weatherman right. guy. And she's just like, you know, if you ever get lonely, I'm never lonely, Dan. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah. so good. Just... Uh, but yeah, so it's and, it's like nobody's favorite Carpenter no, movie, including him. I yeah. mean, he does, he has a major issues yeah, with it. Yeah, it had to be like reshot yeah. and stuff. It's it's nobody's favorite, but for some reason, it's just so lovely. Yeah. It just has this great style and elegance to it that's just endless, endlessly revisit, re- rewatchable. And this will notably be my first time, uh, even. Uh, having an opportunity to see it in theaters to your point. It's never I, played I, I, that I know of. Right. Yeah. Probably because Carpenter movies are so there's the so rights many... are weird. The rights are okay. weird. It, there's a lot of strange things about this movie. That, that, that makes sense. I was thinking more of just kind of like the, there's so many cult classic ones to choose from. This one gets the, the short shrift, but um, the, that's just going to make this 
opportunity so much more exciting. I, and I don't care how recently I've, I've, I've watched it, yeah. seeing it in the theater for the first time will be uh, really special. And I'm not sure, you know, we had a really great crowd come out for the thing. I'm not sure how many of those people are going to like. It's almost like right now I just wanted to, you know, we're starting off a new year. And I just wanted to play one side of each of the John Carpenter coins, you know. And I feel like this is striking a very different tonal nerve than the thing is. Yes. And I love the thing. It was so much fun to watch it in the theaters with people. It was great. Um, I love that. But I'm just really excited for this one. This is going to be a different one. It's going to be uh, a really, I think it's going to be maybe even a little more special just because it's so rare. Yeah. I, I can't wait. Um, yeah. That would have been, I think I even mentioned it on a previous episode, like sort of my top tier of movies that I've always wanted to see in theaters. Absolutely. And if anybody isn't familiar with this, because I was surprised how many of our cast or our, our staff members hadn't, just a quick, you know, it's a ghost story straight up. Very Edgar Allan Poe, very Lovecraft. It's very eerie. It's very desolate. Um, it is specifically not trying to be like atomic sci-fi horror like the thing is. It is, yeah, straight up a ghost story. It's his follow-up to the Halloween um, and it's got a really great cast. We mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis, Adrian Barbeau, her mom's in it, Janet Lee, uh, John Carpenter is in it. Um, Hal Holbrook is in it as the priest, really amazing. And then, of course, I got to give it out to my man, Tom Atkins, yeah. who just, yeah, <laughs> oh, he's so great. Just couldn't, can't get enough of Tom. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And lastly, I'll just mention John Houseman is in it, who is uh, kind of more of an obscure actor, but he's a great you know, sort of more thespian. He's the guy on Rollerball, if anybody's familiar with Rollerball, who is uh, one of the executives who keeps talking with James Caan and stuff. So he gives the legend at the beginning of the fog. No relation to Doorman? Houseman, no. okay. No, <laughs> Houseman and Doorman are not. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that is the fog. Uh, that's week one. Now we're transitioning really hard into Valentine's Day uh, for February 9th through the... 15th uh, with two very very different movies in amongst themselves uh, we're going to start off with a modern film from 2010 it's Scott Pilgrim versus the world Scott Pilgrim hi I was thinking about asking you out but then I realized how stupid that would be so do you want to go out sometime if we're going to date you may have to defeat my seven evil exes you have seven evil ex boyfriends pretty much Prepare to feel the wrath of the League of Evil Exes. How's life? He seems nice. You know this girl? It was just a face. You had a sexy face? I was just a little bi-curious. Well, I'm a little bi-furious! We all have baggage. I don't care about any of that stuff. Step up your game, Scott. You want to fight me for her? Why would you want to do that? Because I'm in love with her. Garlic bread is my favorite food. I could eat it for every meal. You get fat. No, why would I get fat? Bread makes you fat. Bread makes you fat? Lady PG-13. As bass guitarist for a garage rock band, Scott Pilgrim, Michael Sarah, has never had trouble getting a girlfriend. Usually, the problem is getting rid of them. But when Ramona Flowers, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, skates into his heart, he finds she has the most troublesome baggage of all, colon, an army of ex-boyfriends who will stop at nothing to eliminate him from her list of suitors. So this is Edgar Wright at the peak of kind of being able to, the story, because it's based on a comic book or a um, graphic novel, 
has excuses to stylistically do all the 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 crazy things that that he likes to do it can have like uh, visual overlays on the screen it absolutely can... a portland-based graphic novel too which i oh, was okay. excited to yeah. learn yeah we have another movie that's based on a graphic novel coming up later in the month too so that just happened wow. it's really cool nice yeah so i i just think it's it's he likes to mash up tones and yeah. um, styles and, and music and like, so it's music is inherent to the, the story as well. Like he basically edits like his stuff to the beat of the soundtrack of, of his movies. So his soundtracks are iconic and his cinematic style is just so um, kinetic and propulsive. Yeah. The editing is, I, when I was rewatching it, it is really sharp. Yeah. Yeah, there's something that really propels the movie, and it really didn't annoy me. Uh, sometimes <laughs> there's a lot of like modern editing that's like uh, really, really sharp and really, mm-hmm. really like propel- propelling. And I don't know, I don't have any other good adjectives to describe it, but it just kind of bothers me. It's like it's a little too fast, a little too quick, and a little too you know ADD or something. Trying, I mean, yeah. it could be trying really hard. I mean, maybe yeah. an example of that that I like is um, Joseph Kahn's work, yeah. <laughs> like Detention, and that is like. A music video. He's a yeah. music video director. Edgar Wright maybe had music video experience, but regardless, like his style of humor might, you know, work for some more than others. It really works for me, and his visual cinematic style really works for me. And on top of that, um, Michael Sarah is just I'll watch him in any movie, and he's gotcha. having a nice little uh, modern resurgence this last year with Barbie and and Dream Scenario randomly. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head there with Edgar Wright. You know, it really feels like this is kind of a pivot point for him. He's leaving the hot fuzz yeah. kind of Shaun of the Dead, very British world, and he's doing something a little different. Um, and you know, it's filmed in Toronto. Feels very Toronto. I mean, it's, you know, it's cool. Um, in that regard too. And it just, if it's very tonally different than anything else we're playing all month. Um, it has a different type of humor that I feel like some people might relate to when they, if they don't relate to other movies on the calendar. Yeah. And 2010 is, um, when we were just starting to get inundated with superhero movies, there was actually yeah. the freedom, you know, he was famously, tap to direct ant-man but got pulled off the project for creative differences and it feels like this was a time where you could be more visually experimental and, and daring and it 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 could almost you know especially with a lesser known uh, uh source material and and lesser stakes involved in the entire you know 30 film marvel universe that he could do yeah. his vision of this and the material supported it. And it's just really creative and, and uh, artistically challenging um, in a, in a super entertaining package. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that I think is just getting more and more of a cult, you know, it was popular when I first started at the theater. I mean, I heard people talking about it, but it kind of flopped. I was surprised to see when I was researching the movie that it yeah it wasn't popular when it came out. And now, I feel like it is pretty household. Yeah, there's a new um, Netflix animated series based on it as well, which I I haven't watched, but good time to revisit the source material for sure. Absolutely. And so that's Scott Pilgrim, and that's going to be contrasting with uh, Valley Girl from 1983. Okay, so he's awesome. (laughs) Valley Girl. She's 
out there somewhere. This is the story of a boy from Hollywood who never dreamed the girl he'd want most was down here. Hello. It's the story of a girl from the valley who never dreamed she'd ever be seen with a boy from over here. Like I'm not getting out of this car. All right, but when they attack the car, save the radio. It's the day of the big valley party at Susie Brent's house. Maybe the social event of the season for 15-year-old Julie Richman and her friends. Julie, played by Deborah Foreman, and her best friends do some last-minute shopping at the Galleria, and then they are ready to have a totally awesome time. An interesting possibility turns up at Susie's party. Two hot Hollywood guys, Fred and Randy, played by Nicolas Cage. They sure don't fit in, but Julie and Randy lock eyes. Fred and Randy convince Julie and her friend Stacy to cruise into Hollywood, and Julie is amazed but intrigued, and she and Randy are off on a romantic affair. So this description, a lot of the descriptions when I was researching this movie, I really felt like didn't do it justice in a weird way. And this was the best one I could find. I just want to say I'm still not like super stoked on that description. Sure. Um, And I feel like I should just give it my own kind of freeform description um, in lieu of all that. Go for um, it. And just that this is a movie about the preppy valley kids and the punk kids coming and sort of crashing the valley party. And then Romeo and Juliet style, one falls in love with the other. And it's just really fun and charming and very early 80s uh, new wave L.A. Um, but this is the breakout of Nicolas Cage. So yes. we're kind of seeing him for the very first time in a starring role and he's great uh and he's doing a fantastic job and deborah foreman's really awesome too and it has this just really charming sweet romance adventure quality to it that's just fun to watch it's i mean all these a lot of these movies we're playing this month are are just really fun and entertaining movies um but this one, I just, I, for some reason, I just really like the, like, romance adventure that's not really just, like, lovers on the run or sort of, like, wild at heart. It has a different kind of adventure quality to it um, that's, you know, sort of slightly surreal and just fantasy-like, you know, just perfect boy meets girl type thing. Yeah, it's such a, a blast. Like, this is a, these are some archetypes, stereotypes of, um uh la accents and 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 style and fashion that like would permeate things for for so long to come yeah it's but aesthetic it, is really kind of off the charts and you can just yeah. respond on that level yeah exactly so that's like a hook and then of course as soon as nick cage comes on screen he's doing uh like he is in his whole career like doing a lot but exuding charisma and this i mean he is playing like a cool Reserve like a classically yeah. cool um, uh, James Dean type character, but with you know some crazy manic energy bubbling below the surface yeah. because <laughs> he can't help himself. Um, and it's he's incredibly handsome and, and appealing, and he's gone through so many um, physical changes throughout throughout the years, and it's just like the constant is this um, this weird charisma and energy that he brings to things it's really cool to see that paired with his youth youthfulness and and just kind of his unquestionable hotness um because 
Um, I frequently get into debates with, I have some Nick Cage absolute obsessives in, gotcha. in my uh, circle. And he is not afraid to play very unappealing, physically unappealing characters and like adaptation or yeah. dream scenario recently. Yeah, yeah. adaptation but, I think might be one of his best just like <laughs> acting. Yeah. Yeah. But he's not, he's not an object of any desire. He's actually really able to kind of put aside his vanity for some of these roles. And this role, it asks for him to be uh, appealing and, and hot and he can obviously pull that off as yeah. well. So it's just cool to see to see him at that stage in, in his career um, in addition to the... I mean, that's kind of just the immersive aesthetic of, of that L.A. culture is is so fun to spend time in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's directed by Martha Coolidge, uh, did Real Genius. You know, she has a, a specific uh, tone that she brings that I really connect with, you know. So I, I feel like this movie, it, I, you can respond to it in many different ways. And, I, you know, I think it's interesting. You just talked about sort of the Nick Cage angle, the 80s, you know, L.A. angle. And then I just really want to say, again, it's just, but there's this sort of romance adventure fantasy that I, I just really connect with. And it's, it's in this kind of uh, just sort of, I don't know. It might be Martha Coolidge bringing it. I might. I, I don't know exactly who's bringing that energy, but it just. It's fun to me in this. Uh, it's almost like a one crazy night movie or something, where it's just this fantasy that uh, it preys. You know, I, here when we, we talked about hardcore, you know, uh -huh. I talked about how that was the Midwest nightmare. This is a. This is a. This is the opposite. It's not a Midwest nightmare. It's sort of a West Coast paradise you sure. know dream in a, in a weird way um that sort of preys upon your inherent um sort of fantasies about love that are kind of instilled in us at a very young age of boy meets girl type thing um and uh, i think that's kind of just fun as a movie yep. to investigate you know totally and you know this will basically mark the year anniversary for the first movie i saw when i moved into <laughs> into the neighborhood which was wild at heart and um a perfect tradition as long as that yeah. can keep keep going to watch a nick cage my girlfriend um won't complain and the friends in her life won't complain if we yeah. have to watch another nick cage movie uh, around Valentine's Day. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it seems like it's working out quite well for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Valentine's Day week. Um, and now we're going to our third week, February 16th through 22nd. We're pivoting again pretty hard for a black director's double feature, um, the first of which is another comedy. We got Friday from 1995. Hi, boys. Miss Parker just don't know. Come in here. Oh, man, I'll wait till you come out. What you talking about? You wait till I come out. I smelt your shit for 22 years. Now you can't smell mine for five minutes. I'm going to get you high today because it's Friday. You ain't got no job. And you ain't got shit to do. How you going to sell, bud? And you smoke it. Oh, no. Claude, have mercy. Just give me three and a half minutes. Maybe even four. Come here. What's up, big pine? I mean, big one. If you ain't got my money or my bud, I'm killing you and him. Break yourself, fool! Rap's hottest star leads the nonstop laughs in this hip-hoppin' look at a day in the life in the hood. Ice Cube stars as Craig, an alright guy with some crazy friends. Like Smokey, played by Chris Tucker, who has 24 hours to pay back Debo, 
South Central's nastiest thug, or else. Trouble is, neither Craig's mother nor his main squeeze has the bread. As time ticks away, the chance this pair will ever see Saturday is fading fast. Ooh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> that is this a one day um, in the life movie? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a minute for me. This is. I, f- I feel like I keep bringing up like because I didn't grow up necessarily a cinephile or grow up in a cinephile family. I came to yeah. some movies through either their influences or, in the case of this one, their direct you know um airplane style parodies like don't be a menace oh really because this one is one i totally grew up with this and ice cube in general like just every thrift store in chicago had ice cube cassettes right like when you when you went on the train like i remember just hearing people play ice cube tapes like the predator kill it will like just his persona was just really popular in chicago when i was growing up and right anaconda when that came out you know but this is him writing and i'm trying to be a lot more truthful and in researching it i was really sort of surprised to see like their whole kind of agenda here was to do a uh boys in the hood type movie but not the dark side of the hood the Mm -hmm. like fun side of the hood and not just like romanticize all this kind of drama and sort of uh to romanticize all these sort of comedic situations so yeah yeah and um you you know like it's it's obviously really important not to make every like black led and created movie just yeah. about like the the horrors of the um experience in inner city life or like same for when they're you know when black artists are thinking about the music that they create and right. stuff kind of just like it's it's a, a heavy a heavy weight uh to to bear and responsibility and that's that's cool to know i didn't know um Ice Cube's involvement uh, fully actually it makes sense yeah. if he if he's a multi talented artist that he would would be a great you know screenwriter as well. But that's yeah. super cool. And just like with Groundhog's Day, just a lot of lines that have stayed with me for my life. You know, I really love the dad character in Friday. Um, you know, he just has so many good lines. One the one that I I always just you know it's just around my house. People say it's just you know. Uh, he comes out of the bathroom after being in there for a long time. And he's like, don't nobody go in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, you know, yeah, just so many good lines, so many good musical references. It just has a great, you know, stoner vibe to it that I just think will be really great for um, February. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great, like, choice. Um a good movie to revisit for me because like i like i was saying like yeah i it had strong influence it was like um don't be a menace in south central while blah, blah 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 i don't know the full title yeah was like the scary movie what yeah. scary movie was to that and I, for some reason i was like in a big parody movie phase and i was watching like right. not another teen movie and and sure. don't be a menace and stuff and hadn't even watched the original movies at that point i right. eventually would um uh track down most of the sources but it's it's been a while since i've watched uh, friday for sure absolutely all right cool well yeah definitely revisit that one if you get the chance um and it is going to be contrast um, so i will say that that movie is directed by f gary gray 
Um, and the next movie we have is another black directed movie that is a lot more serious, um, but it is a lot less known. Uh, this is from 1992. It's a little movie called Deep Cover. Acclaimed for his role in Boys in the Hood, Larry Fishburne is Officer Russell Stevens. I knew you'd come. There's a thin line between catching a criminal and becoming one. Deep Cover. Directed by Bill Duke. Film noir hits the mean streets of 90s Los Angeles in this stylish and subversive underworld odyssey from veteran actor-director Bill Duke. Lawrence Fishburne stars as Russell Stevens, a police officer who goes undercover as John Hull, the partner of a dangerously ambitious cocaine trafficker, Jeff Goldblum. In order to infiltrate and bring down a powerful Latin American drug ring operated in L.A. But the further Stephen descends into this ruthless world of money, violence, and power, the more disillusioned he becomes and the harder it is to make out the line between right and wrong, crime and justice. Steeped in shadowy, neon-soaked atmosphere and featuring Dr. Dre's debut solo single, Deep Cover is an unsung gem of the 90s black cinema explosion that delivers a riveting character study and sleek action thrills alongside a furious moral indictment of America and the devastating failures of the wars on drugs. Damn. Okay, well, um, just the the sort of basic setup for the movie is I feel like the type of like 90s um, thriller kind of like cop adult drama that doesn't get made a lot anymore there's not like a strong market for it it seems like unfortunately yeah it really fits in the like late 80s early 90s crime yeah. genre which i really love you know i'm all you're I'm, everyone's always painting me as the 70s guy <laughs> loves all these 70s movies well something i really love in the 80s and in the early 90s is the crime movies they're sleazy and they're really just awesome yeah and they're just like the the story just or or kind of like you're just following this thread it just works i mean there any kind of like um i don't really know how to describe it just like any kind yeah. of thriller that it that introduces um that uh, takes you on this ride through a like experience that you would never have otherwise is just like um, you're just glued to the screen once once you start seeing it unfold like you you like really want to get to the bottom of <laughs> of what's going on and, and 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 you know like it's sort of like watching a car crash or something like you can't look away and this movie was under the radar for a really long time and then in, in 2021 Criterion picked it up, put it out on Blu-ray. So this is one I got to tip my hat to Criterion. And this is an amazing movie that has gotten a big leg up recently. And ever since that Blu-ray came out, I wanted to program it. And it's crazy that it's 2024. And now I'm finally getting deep cover um, on the big screen. And I I just want to ring the bell a little bit to people to wake up and just, hey, this is a rare one. This is an amazing movie that I think it's just going to get more and more popular. Um, and I think part of that is really just the combination of Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum in 1992. Right. Because this movie is is a great, 
chemi- shows showcases the great chemistry that they have together. Yeah, I guess the reason I was speaking in such generalities yeah. is because I hadn't heard of the movie. Yeah, totally. And Most so, people hadn't. Yeah, you know, this it, is a great opportunity for me to go in completely fresh and yeah. and, and experience it for the first time in theaters. That's been one of the big joys of. Um, the range of programming that yep. that you've been um, working on with with everyone at Academy is is every, at least once or twice every month where there's a movie that I haven't even heard of, um, and that's part of my mission. But really, I just want to say about this movie that Lawrence Fishburne he he elevates. Anytime I see him, I'm just excited to see him. He's like Kurt Russell to me, you know. Just anytime I see him, boom. The movie goes way, way up. And this movie, it's it's him leading in a way that really he's he's seizing this opportunity that's being thrown down to to really tell a story that doesn't get told in exactly like this way. You know, it's very different than Boys in the Hood. It, it's it's very different than a lot of these other sort of hard hitting black dramas that are coming out around the same time, which are great. I you know, I love so many of these movies movies um, but this one just hits a very different vibe about what is right what is wrong what is crime what is justice um, and what is black and what is white and what is Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and Jeff Goldblum is peak too this uh-huh. is right before Jurassic Park you know so this is the Jeff Goldblum that we all know and love um, and he's being a total sleazeball in this movie Excellent. Um, so it's it's yeah this movie is an anomaly in some ways uh, but it's it's more than just a uh, undiscovered gem. This is a classic that I really feel like has legs to grow uh, in the coming years. Cool. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, and it's directed by Bill Duke, who, if you Google his face, you're not familiar with that. Um, if that that name seems uh, sort of hazy to you, I think that face might uh, bring back some stuff. He's in Predator. He was in a, he was acting in a lot of movies, but he was also directing and do uh, TV and a lot of things as well. Uh, he does another movie called Hoodlum with Lawrence Fishburne later. So you probably recognize Bill Duke, gotcha. um, and he he's really started out in the '70s with Car Wash and stuff. So he he's been part of black cinema for a really long time, and he has a ton of experience that he's really channeling into this passion project so wow special yeah. one special one. Forward to. yeah and and bump and soundtrack doctor oh dr. yeah yeah, yeah. dr dre i mean both these movies but this one i really love uh the, 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 the neon uh drenched descriptor yeah. and yeah. the dr dre debut single yeah i forgot to mention that from your description yeah. that, that had me hooked right there yeah it really takes you back in the best way to the 90s it's a great Thing. And it's going to look awesome because it was just recently restored and scanned. So, all right. So that's our third week. Let's pivot again to our fourth week, February 23rd through 29th. Again, a very, very different set of films. We're doing a snowy train double feature. This is a concept that I've always wanted to do ever since I've started working in the Academy it was just train months. I love train movies. Um, and it was kind of, just me having to get reined in by some of my other staff mates to just let's not do a whole month of train let's just do a week so i try to channel this into just uh, a really modern snowy one and then a super 
interesting one from the 80s that's going to be our deep cut pick. But let's let's focus on the first movie here first uh, from 2013, a little movie called Snowpiercer. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. No good. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine and we control the world. When is the time? Soon. After a failed experiment to stop global warming, a post-apocalyptic ice age has killed nearly all life on the planet. All that remains of humanity are the lucky few survivors that boarded the Snowpiercer a train that travels around the globe and is powered by the sacred perpetual motion engine. A class system has evolved aboard the train, fiercely dividing its population, but a revolution is brewing. The lower class passengers in the tail section stage an uprising, moving car by car up towards the front of the train, where the train's creator and absolute authority resides in splendor but unexpected circumstances lie in wait for humanity's tenacious survivors, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, this is takes um, such a simple metaphor, kind of like moving through the train cars as and it like the surroundings and the level of luxury changes as you move towards the front of the train from the back. So you get these like, what could seem like overt um, uh, societal themes or commentary, but in this like yeah. incredible post-apocalyptic um, setting that's con- confined to a-, a train, like you have to choreograph all the action and all the, um, it just creates all these other interesting cinematic challenges because yeah. it's only set in a train so like just but the movement from back to front as part of the uprising is such a visually effective like absolutely for for um what the movie's trying to say about society yeah when when this movie came out i had just started working at the academy and i just you know got out of college and was kind of re-entering into culture it kind of felt like after studying for years and i was just like whoa this movie is amazing this is it really knocked my socks off and i was i was a little jaded just on what had been going on in cinema and it really introduced me for the first time to bong joon ho um, who i feel like other people were probably a little bit more familiar with um beforehand but for me it was just now i can't avoid this guy and and uh someone immediately gave me the host to watch mm-hmm. after that um so it was really exciting and then just to see him go up to parasite you know right before the pandemic i mean it was just to me that was like a specific period of cinema that he kind of uh bookend yeah and um Obviously, Parasite works with some of the same uh, themes with a different visual metaphor of like yeah. the basement of a house versus <laughs> the the luxurious upper level. Um, and then uh, I've never seen uh, Memories of a Murder. Is that one of his first films? I haven't seen it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got that. I've got that at a thrift shop recently on uh, Blu-ray, and, and I've been meaning to watch that. So this will be a, nice. good, a good opportunity to vi- revisit that. And... Um, um, my girlfriend always tells me about this experience she had mm-hmm. where I think it was a 
uh, Alamo related screening way back when the movie came out. Yeah. Where they took them on a train to the theater or to like a screening. And, and um, I did not have the opportunity to see this in theaters when, when it first came out. So I'll be oh, really wow. excited to see like the action cinema on, on a big screen. Yeah, to me, it feels really good that there are movies that still resonate this much that came out in that time period. You yeah. know, we've, we've played a lot of movies that were popular back, you know, 10 years ago, and they don't connect as much. And I really feel like this one will. Um, and I and it, it to me, rewatching it, I was just struck by the cast, you know, just Tilda Swinton, just amazing in this. John Hurt is the elephant man is in there, too. I was like, yeah, uh, Jamie Bell is in it. I, Chris I, Evans. Chris Evans. Uprising. Yep. Who also Scott Pilgrim. Yep. yep. So some connections there. So it's a great cast a great concept great execution with the director um for anybody who hasn't seen it it is violent this is a violent movie gratuitous violence uh but that is very stylized and interesting yep um so yeah great just a really fun interesting entertaining movie that's not as comedic as some of these other movies we've been playing all month yeah now that i think about it um i I feel like i watched this as a like group movie night that I orchestrated and I had yeah. some kind of issues with subtitles. So I didn't watch <laughs> any yeah. of the dialogue that wasn't in, you know, I guess I most of it's not a dialogue and story heavy movie. Right. But I actually think I missed a lot of crucial story. So <laughs> it's, it, and I haven't uh, rewatched it um, for a long time. So I'm, I think it might feel like a totally fresh experience just because that's that's my own fault for watching it that way but like the difference the way you pay attention to filmmaking like this in a theater versus at home is is always you you notice new things and yeah and see it in a different way so yeah that's another uh reason that i'm excited to see it yeah i feel like a lot of our staff members they just know me as such a 20th century guy and so to see a movie from the 21st century that i'm really excited and passionate about they're all like whoa holy this must be really crazy you know but i think people are pretty familiar it's not an obscure movie at all but yeah it's getting yeah people are getting stoked for it so excellent yeah that's um one snowy train movie down yep and so let's juxtapose that with the deep cut pick for february i'm going full board into the mid 80s here um and it's from 1985 a little tiny movie called Runaway train. Their struggle for freedom became a fight for their lives. John Voigt, Eric Roberts, Rebecca de Mornay, and Andre Kontolowski film. Runaway Train. Tearing up the tracks at 100 miles per hour, Runaway Train features hair-raising footage and spectacular Oscar-nominated performances by John Voight and Eric Roberts. Manny, played by Voight, is the toughest convict in a remote Alaskan prison, who, along with fellow inmate Buck, played by Roberts, makes a daring breakout. Hopping a freight train, they head full steam for freedom, But when the engineer dies of a heart attack, they find themselves trapped, alone, and speeding towards certain disaster. 
until they discover a third passenger, beautiful railroad worker Sarah, played by Rebecca de Mornay, who is just as desperate and determined to survive as they are. That that reminded me of so many different um, movies, action movies that would come later. Or, you know, obviously Speed. And- totally. So famously, <laughs> yeah. this movie did not make any money, and Speed destroyed and made tons yeah. and tons of money, <laughs> and was totally a ripoff of Runaway Train. Uh-huh. So this movie really did inspire a lot of movies, and started off as a passion project in the '60s by Akira Kurosawa, hmm. who wrote the screenplay. Yeah. So I think this is, a first and foremost, a canon movie. Um, and that's what confused, I feel like, a lot of audiences back in the 80s and today. It's just... Oh, um, canon films, not like canon a film films. Canon films, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> canon films. Yes. So canon films was very much associated with exploitation movies. And this was an Oscar-nominated Akira Kurosawa film. Um, and just that just that juxtaposition just really confused a lot of people. And I think people speculate as to why it didn't generate a a following immediately, but it is definitely a cult movie now. Um, and we're going to be playing the restoration of it. And I am really excited to bring this one, uh, to the big screen. It is action packed. It is, uh, when I, you know, do research for all these movies, um, I watch at least 25 minutes this is the only one that I've watched recently that I, I just couldn't stop it. There was no turning like a this runaway movie. train. Yeah. It was just I <laughs> yeah. had to keep going yeah. and it was painful to stop it at any point. You know, it really just moves. Uh, and part of that is John Voight. You know, just this is to me his best role. Mm. And I love all the things, but he is playing the meanest, grittiest, craziest con ever. Um, in an Alaskan prison, um, and their breakout is amazing. So it's hard to spoil this movie because you get it. There's a train. They're going to break out and stuff. It's not about the plot points. It's about the experience. Um, But I also really just wanted to play a movie that was pretty aesthetically different and also it has a similarity to a lot of the movies I played where there's a gritty realism. Hmm. But at the same time, we're we're full board in the mid-'80s here. You know, this is different tonally than a lot of the other movies. And I'm the plan is that I'm going to be staying in the 80s for the next three, four, five months. Okay, so we'll, is, we'll see. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. They're not, they're, um, yeah, they're not all going to be quite like this one, but I just highly recommend some people who, who might have been a little wary of me playing a lot of, you know, downbeat 70s movies in my deep cut. Uh, this is a downbeat 80s movie that is really, really exciting. There's not going to be anybody being, oh, this is boring. I think there's um, definitely something to the angle of, more uh, um, setting-based pairings like this. Like one of my favorite recent experiences was seeing the two winter westerns. Um, totally different, like Absolutely. tones, and and we got into that um, in a soon-to-be-posted uh, follow-up review. But I, uh, these movies, I would have never, you know, well, one, I wasn't aware of of one of them, but like. They wouldn't. It wouldn't be a common double feature, but being immersed in this kind of like um, uh, train setting, you're gonna start to draw parallels that you would never have made otherwise. It's just a new way, a fun way to recontextualize movies that you already have an, uh, a relationship with by pairing them together, and now you can kind of see how they 
Um, even if it's completely unintended by any of the filmmakers or any, they were never in dialogue with each other. You can put them in dialogue and have a fun new viewing experience. Yes, I completely agree. The connections that you make in your mind between two when you pair a movie together is just so special um, that it's just something you can't contain. And for every person, it's different. For every moment in time, they make these special associations between the films. And that's just a really awesome part of cinema that we're trying to capitalize on in certain ways. And this is a a special feature that's doing it in a specific way. So whether or not you watch both movies at the same time, you know, I just, I highly recommend checking out Runaway Train, especially if you are familiar with Snowpiercer, um, because this is a super rare screening. This is not going to play. Who knows if this has played since 1985. And even (laughs) if it got played in 1985, it totally lost money. It tanked. Um, But it has gained a lot of traction, especially since the Blu-ray. So this was, this this movie is interesting historically. Um, But I also just want to mention the director, uh, it's a Soviet director, Andrei Konchalovsky. Um, not a name that everybody knows. Um, he was a buddy of Tarkovsky. Nope. Um, and he, to me, really uh, made an appearance first in the 90s uh, with when he directed the TV miniseries mini of The Odyssey. And I don't know if, if you were familiar with that one, but that when 1997, when that came out, oh, man, that was <laughs> a huge, it's like a four-hour uh, live action Odyssey, uh, you know, Greek myth epic that's beautiful. And if anyone hasn't seen that, I highly recommend checking that out. No, that's yeah, that's news to me. I was uh, huge. This comes way way earlier, but yeah, uh, Clash of the Titans. Yeah, uh, oh, rich yeah. guy growing up, and like I loved, um, you know, kind of Greek mythology and sure. and any kind of adaptation, any kind of on screen version of it that I could get. But uh, the Odyssey one, I I missed. And this this one this movie also has a really cool synth soundtrack. It is very different. It's almost uh, it's like a proto Seinfeld on meth. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's like, a, yeah. yeah, that's an intriguing description. Yeah, it's super it's super unique. Trevor Jones is it? Uh, it's hard to find. It's hard to. I I think it's only on vinyl. It might be on cassette too, but it, it hasn't translated. It's it's hard to find. Um, but it's cool. It's interesting. It's very unique. Um, it's very eighties. Uh, it's, um, and also I, uh, I really love Rebecca de Mornay. So I think she does not get enough attention as being one of the best actresses in the eighties. Risky business is amazing performance in that. Um, and this is only two years after risky business. And she, she looks like she's grown like 20 years. I mean, hmm. she's, she, yeah, she has, she looks all grown up in this movie. Right. Um, so that's Runaway Train, the best canon movie of all time. Uh, <laughs> it, it beats Ninja Three Domination. Yeah. It's totally different. So yeah. I, you know, I love canon, and yeah. hopefully, if we do a review, we can talk a little bit more just about how cool canon yeah. is. Um, but I just wanted to pull out a really different type of canon movie for February that I've been wanting to play. Um, and when I, you know, I just got to say, when I first watched this movie a couple of years ago, I, I was, you know, I was just totally blown away. So getting to play this movie is such a privilege and an honor. And I'm really excited to share it with people. Very cool. Um, that's it, I guess. Right. Yeah. So that's February, you know, some, some things that I'm, I, I mentioned to you earlier that, um, 
I didn't say up front, which is that, you know, I'm trying to take it up a little bit, um, take it up a notch a little bit at the Academy in terms of our revival series. I've been doing introductions before a lot of the films uh, and, you know, I've been uh, putting up original posters in the lobby. Um, You know, we're uh, playing these themed trailers that I just wanted to clarify, make sure no one was confused that we're going to be doing these thematically uh, uh, sort of adjacent trailers uh, before the revival films uh, that are, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be playing these movies. So if you see a trailer for, you know, Men in Black before Galaxy Quest, it's just it's just because it's related, you know, thematically right. um, and fun. We're just having fun doing the trailers uh, in a different way, and we're just trying it out right now. Yeah, no, that's it. I love it. Um, Academy kind of promotes uh that you aren't gonna have to sit through 35 minutes of trailers but um the fact that there's always like two trailers before the movie and they're like they get you primed for it i mean people enjoy movie trailers they don't enjoy uh maria menendez like (laughs) talking about um like you know the popcorn at 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 regal for 45 minutes like but uh, it's the perfect amount of um of like primer for the the viewing experience at Academy. So. Yeah, and we're an independent theater. We have independent programming. You know, that's what we just took you through. Um, this was all generated by myself and the other staff members at the Academy. Um, and now we're sort of taking that one step further with having these independently curated uh, trailers that are that have been hand-selected for you before each movie. Yeah, and I also um, applaud you for the courage. Um, you've been doing a great job at the screenings I've been at to get up there. And, oh, the introductions? And, and intro the movies, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I, a lot of times I'm just excited, and there are. Um, it's been fueled just because it's, it's, a, it's a rare opportunity to get to see a lot of these movies, and I want to give a little bit of context. So, again, I just want to tell people that I am very, very cognizant, uh, very, very aware of spoiling movies and trying to just blow smoke up movies butts you know i'm really not trying to overhype a movie for people um but i am trying to prime people like you said and especially movies that deserve a little bit of an introduction that's what's really pushing me out there yeah well um i'm looking forward to seeing a lot of these seeing you at the, at the theater and, and seeing other people's reactions to it. That's obviously a huge part of the, the rewarding aspect of this for, for you and, and even me just being adjacent to the programming is like seeing how people react to it. I can't, I can't wait to see the fog with, with other people for, for example. So that's it for the February preview. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast by searching Academy Revival Podcast in Apple or Spotify or any number of other podcast platforms. But um, thank you, Doorman, for walking us through the, the schedule. And I look forward to seeing everyone at the Academy Theater. Thank you, Drew. And thank you, everyone, for listening. See you later. Thank you.